Welcome to episode number 40 of the Fiduciary You podcast. My guest on this episode is Andy Hudson, the managing partner of 401k champions and a well-known coach, consultant, and sales strategy expert to top 401k advisors, typically generating a million dollars plus in annual revenue. He started his consulting practice over a decade ago after more than 10 years in the retirement industry at companies like John Hancock and Manulife. On this episode, we have a great discussion about practice management tips and strategies for retirement plan advisors and how they can work on their business instead of just in their business. We cover sales strategies like the importance of building a proprietary process to differentiate your practice, demonstrating deep expertise by diagnosing accurately so you can prescribe effectively, avoiding the urge to sell prospects on what services you offer instead of future outcomes you can achieve for them, and how to create a flexible narrative and messaging approach that can be applied to the unique needs of your prospects. Finally, we also discuss Andy's consulting philosophy, which is built around three pillars sales and lead generation, service model, and growth map, and how advisors can identify their biggest business drivers so they can focus on that area. We also cover a lot of other really cool information and just have a really engaging conversation with one another, and I really enjoyed getting Andy's uh, insights and experiences and wisdom uh, that he's developed after working with so many top 401k advisors. And so with that introduction, I hope that you enjoy the show and that you get as much out of listening to Andy speak as I did. Andy Hudson, welcome to the Fiduciary You podcast. Uh, I am super excited about our conversation today. Welcome. Thanks, Josh. Excited to be here and uh, talk a little bit more about what, what you have going on with uh, Fiduciary RX and what we see uh, taking place and uh, with advisors as they're growing their practice in the 401k space. Absolutely. Absolutely. Us. And, you know, we, we um, uh, I think, have known of each other for, you know, for some time, um, but got connected a few months ago and, and um, you know, had, a, had a, a great kind of initial discussion in terms of, you know, really what you're doing from a, you know, a coaching uh, and practice management standpoint for 401k advisors, um, and what I was doing on more of the tech side now and, and found that, that, you know, there was some uh, really kind of some complimentary fit. So um, for listeners who don't know uh, about you and about your company, why, why don't you just give a little bit of brief background of, um, you know, what you do and kind of how your, your career arc, how, how have you gotten there? Because you've been in the retirement industry for, you know, for a pretty long time. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Um, yeah, I got, got started in the business um, and I've always had, um, I guess, a, an interest in business um, and how business works. And it started when I was working with one of the record keepers and first got, got into the business was in a roller. I would go around and see the various businesses and what whatever widget or service they provided and would do the education. Um, and then, you know, through my through my career with Record Keeper, and then got into consulting when, after I left the Record Keeper and started my own firm, and did, have done some work with TPAs, do a lot of work with advisors on growing their practice. But how is it that you, um, as an advisor, how is it that you get your practice to the next level? So I'm with uh, 401k Champions. We started in uh, 2012, and just work with top 401k advisors uh, on their practice. And kind of getting that next level uh, in their practice around what we call the three pillars. It's uh, your lead gen or sales, uh, your your um, service model, and your growth map. And what our finding has been, um, and I've seen this work, you know, each advisor is a little bit different, different business, different skill set, all those things. But what we find across it holds true for all advisors is if you want to get to the next level, you've got to identify which of those three pillars uh, is kind of a roadblock or a bottleneck in your practice and then solve for work on that specific pillar. And that will get, create a tailwind, if you will, for helping you get to uh, to that uh, next level for your practice. So, always had an interest um, in in you know business and how it works, and have kind of grown up in the in the retirement plan space, and that's that's where I've applied that interest. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the the thing that I love the most is working with you know working with advisors and um, getting to know them personally. You know, building off the success that they've had, they're you know very very successful. 
talented. I learn a lot from them. They learn a lot from our processes and what we've done with other advisors. And as uh, together, we're able to propel um, both their business and our business uh, forward, which is a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, that's how that's how that was a zigzaggy path, but uh, that's how we've gotten to where we are today. So, and, and when I think about you know your three pillars, you know. Uh, when advisors get kind of in the business, right, we're kind of trained to be technicians, right? Mm. Working in the business. There's a, a great book, probably many people have read it called, you know, the E-Myth and, and it kind of delineated sure. between, you know, working in the business versus working on the business. When I think about what you do and kind of your, your process and your methodology and how you support advisors, it's really helping them uh, pick their head up in some ways from like actually um, uh, implementing the work to actually more of like working on the work, um, you know, uh, and, and what do you find generally that keeps, is it just that advise what keeps a lot of advisors from actually working on the business is that they have so much growth and there's just so much work to do that they're kind of chasing their tail. What, what's the aha moment for an advisor where they say, you know what, I need to actually think more strategically about my practice and not more just, not just tactically in delivering the work, finding clients and then doing the work for them. What is that, that aha moment? Uh, yeah, good, good question. And I think it's different for each advisor, but I think in general, in generality, um, would be, you get to a point where you, you have to, right? We usually don't do things until we, until we're forced to, um, and we, and we realize that, Hey, I, I can't continue doing the way it's not, it's no longer because of the success that you've had in your practice. I can no longer do it the way that approach it, the way that I've approached it, or I cannot, I need to put more thought into the way that I approach it to build those efficiencies, you know, training the team, doing those types of things so I can hand some of this off. I need to clone myself. So um, it, I don't think it's a, it's a heady, you know, as much as of a understanding, I think everybody has the understanding, but it's when you, when you get to that place in your business and it's like, okay, I've always had this understanding, but now this is a reality for my, me and my practice. The next step has to involve, you know, how, how do we make, you know, applications. And typically with the, with those pillars, you know, as an advisor, when you first get into the space because of the nature of the business, you go out and you can sell a lot of different products. Maybe you started focusing on 401k. Maybe you started focusing on individual or, you know, insurance or whatever. And then you found 401k and you added it as a complimentary service or you made it your primary. But you go out and you make, you get some wins and each, each plan sponsor, it's not really that advisor's fault, but each plan sponsors a little bit as a different personality, different take on how often they want to see you and what they're looking for, what's important to them and all those types of things. And naturally you pivot and you, you know, you put a price on the services you value, you know, they value the services, you get the business, you, you serve your clients well, but you put all the, all those wins together. And all of a sudden you've got a practice that is very different from one, one, you know, one client to the next, one prospect to the next. And you get to that point, um, what I said earlier, you're kind of forced to, okay, we really need to apply process. And I know, Josh, your background, you know, your, your prior business uh, before you sold and, and started Fiduciary RX, you, you know, you, you reached that milestone in the business several times, as we were talking about a few minutes ago, uh, where you had to kind of, okay, what, what are we doing differently? How do we put this together in a way that, that makes sense and those types of things? So I think it's a natural evolution um, that, that's usually driven through success. Um, and you get to a point where, you know, you realize, okay, we need to, there's another way to put this together. Um, you know, how do we do that? Where do we, you know, who do we look to, to help us put that together? And that, that's what we, that's what we do. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a saying that necessity is the mother of invention, right? You, you, sure. um, and, and I think that I, I know for myself that that was, um, you know, in building an advisory firm, you know, we, we, our philosophy, we had what we called like a break and rebuild philosophy. Um, and, yeah. and this, this idea that what got us to where we are, wasn't going to get us to where we wanted to go. And so there was this kind of constant going back and breaking things down and then rebuilding them and, and, and using the learnings that we had or the challenges that we had run into and then 
letting that help kind of inform, okay, where do we go from here? You, you mentioned, and I think this is, we talked about it in kind of the, 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 um, before we hit record was this difference between a practice and a business. You know, a lot of advisors say, Hey, I have a business, but I would argue that most advisors have a practice having a, and, and, and a practice can be great. You can have a, the advisory business is wonderful. You can build an incredible lifestyle practice. Um, you know, you can make sure. a really good living. You can do incredibly good, meaningful work. Um, but having a practice and, and actually building a business, a business, and maybe a better way to describe it is because obviously you build an advisory practice, you're, you're building a, a, a business of advisory clients, but to actually build an advisory business, there's a difference between having a, you know, uh, between those two things, building something that is more of an enterprise. A lot of practices are usually the goodwill is tied up in one or two or a handful of advisors and their support staff that kind of comes around them, you know, to support them in implementing the work for the clients and the goodwill is tied up. Building a business in many ways is something entirely different. It's something that where um, if you if you want to build a really good lifestyle practice, build it around you. If you want to build a really valuable enterprise, build it around systems and processes and other people so that in many ways, if you've been successful, you can be unplugged from the equation and the business will still perpetuate. What, what are your thoughts in terms of, of that? Yeah, I, I don't think, first of all, I don't think that there's a right or a wrong in this. I think it's, it's a preference yeah. thing. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, th I think practice, the, the amount that you, when, when an advisor wants to build a practice more of a, what we call a lifestyle business, you may want, you may use some of the same language. I want to be able to extract myself for two months out of the summer, um, and do things with the family, or I may want to, you know, there's a, there's an amount of extracting yourself, but you're primarily doing the work where in a business, you, you're, you're re, you maybe you're taking, we talked you know, talked a little bit about this before uh, we hit record, but you're taking a little bit less out of the business. You're reinvesting into the business. You're putting more infrastructure and things like that. And you're not, you're, you know, I heard entrepreneur, um, you know, there's so much written on that and, you know, what is it and, and all those types of things and the differentiation, what, what the point was made, entrepreneurs not doing the work, but having, you know, figuring out how to put processes and other people in place to do the work. So I, th I think business is more involved with that, where you've got, you've got, you know, a lot more infrastructure, if you will, uh, in, from a staffing and from a process and from a, where you can, you know, you, you are the visionary for the business and then other people are executing on your vision where a practice, um, is much more about, you know, you are the, the, you know, the face of the business, your team is the face of the business. It's your, your, you're representing and, and growing. And you can, you know, you've got all different levels of practices from a revenue generation standpoint, and you've got all different levels from a business standpoint. And I think there's, um, there's reasons to do both. And I think it really depends on that, you know, that particular advisor and what they, you know, what are your aspirations and what, what, you know, what do you want to build? Um, but I think on both of those, um, you know, it, it's, um, you, you said, you said this earlier, um, it, it, it's so easy once you get started, like learn to break it, right? You, you, it's through the process of breaking what you're currently doing. And by breaking, meaning going out and, and having the experience with participants, with plan sponsors and getting that critical feedback to be able to build out and reinvent your processes. That's where you start to have the impact that you need to create the reputation that you need and all those types of things. So it, it's, it's getting out there and kind of breaking it and reinventing it based not what's on in our head, but based on what our clients and prospects are telling us is top of mind for them that we can help them with and, and drive value. So there's that, there's that breaking of the process, breaking it down, reinventing the process, whether you're on the practice side or you're on the business side, that is so critical to, you know, propelling your business to the next level. Um, but uh, yeah, the, 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 you know, we used to call it capacity building, right? You, you, mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, there, there have been some studies that have been out there. Dimensional used to do and still does, I think some really good practice benchmarking yeah. studies and whatnot. And, you know, I think when I looked at that, you know, at that data, it was, it was interesting 
you know, and, and I agree with you completely is that there is no right or wrong answer for everyone. There's a right or wrong answer for individuals. It is very much a preference. There's some people who say, you know what? I don't want to run a 25 or 30 or 40 or 50 person firm. I don't want kind of those, you know, those, those challenges yeah. and headaches. You know, I want a, a nimble, you know, three, five, seven, 10 person team. Um, that's really kind of what I want. What's interesting is I think, you know, lifestyle practices tend to be, um, really high, um, higher profitability, higher income, less enterprise value. And, and, um, they tend to grow slower because, you know, because you're not reinvesting as much in the business, you're pulling out as much profit and income as you can current year. It means that it's going to limit, it's all trade-off management. It's going to limit your ability to, to, to capacity build. So your growth is, is going to be slower, but your profitability is going to be higher. The flip side of that, if you're, you're, you're building more of a, of a, what I would consider to be more of like an enterprise approach, you tend to be, have lower profitability because you're reinvesting back in the business. You're not stripping everything out, but you tend to have, you know, higher growth. And I know from the dimensional studies and some others is, is, you know, it was typically somewhere maybe like six to 8% lower profitability for high growth firms, but their growth was much more accelerated and their enterprise value was much more accelerated. So I totally agree that it really comes down to, and this is, you know, designing your, your practice or your business, I think with intentionality is absolutely critical beginning with the end in mind. What do you want Recognize that's going to entail some trade-offs, but then you kind of work backwards. And I, you know, I love, you know, what you said about kind of the iteration is, you know, I know my philosophy has always been, and I mentioned this to you before we started recording it, but whether it was about business, whether it's about technology I'm building now, I take what I call a build, test, validate approach. Right. I build something. I don't put massive amounts of, of money or effort into the build phase. The build phase is really like running an experiment. I want to build something and then as quickly as possible, I want to test it. I want to test it with my clients. I want to test it with my prospects. I want to test it with participants, with plan sponsors. I want to get valuable feedback. What works? What doesn't work? Sometimes the experiments I come up with, I have a hypothesis and I'm like, this is going to work great. And it doesn't. Right. Um, and then other cases, I'm like, I, I just stumble onto something that I try and I don't really have high expectations. And I'm like, wow, this really, really worked. And so you want to be able to build, get something to market as quickly as possible, test it, get feedback. Yeah. And then based on the learnings of that feedback, that will validate whether the idea is a good one or a bad one. And then when you find the good ideas, now we're going to start to throw some gas on the fire. We're going to put the put down on the accelerator, lean into this and yeah. really, really um, push it forward. And I think advisors would be well served to think of yourself as a scientist and just run as many experiments as you, as you can. And that's the whole, you know, build and re-break approach and don't be scared or um, don't be scared of things not working. My, my philosophy has always been in business that I'm not afraid to fail. Uh, what I'm afraid to do is fail slowly and fail backwards. My philosophy is always, I want to fail fast and I want to fail forward, it's a great but one. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm not going to get gun shy. If I not, don't be afraid failing and failures are two totally different things. Yeah. If you're not a, if you're not willing to experience some measure of failure, you will fail long-term, but if you embrace the process of failure, right, you're going to have a lot more success long-term. And if you, if we double click on that a little bit, the, the invention, it, you're, you're following the lead. So if you're in your practice and you have some clients that you're working with and there's a need for those, you know, those key clients, they're like, this is the, this is a great fit client wise. They have the same philosophy and, and they're, they're dedicated and they're just kind of your ideal client and they have a, a particular need. 
that usually is the leading indicator to where you can be creative and apply that process and say, okay, let me help them solve for this because I realize that, um, uh, sorry, there's a fire station right down the road from my office. Um, the, uh, so I, I'll solve for that and I'm creative around that. And I see how, how does that actually meet, you know, I think this will work and let me present it to them and let me, let me see if it actually solves. And then the, what I find, Joshua, I, I find, you know, so fascinating is I'll come up with a couple of good ideas. And the one I think is going to be a slam dunk isn't the one that they necessarily are focused on because I get more, you know, more reaction. Oh, that that's fantastic. And I know you, you've seen this at fiduciary X or, or how they describe it back to you. And you're like, man, that's a fantastic phrase or, or so like break it in, in a, I love the way the context that you're saying, break it. We don't just, we're not just trying to break things and lose clients, but we're breaking things from the standpoint of inventing and quickly listening, solving for, you know, things that aren't being solved for in the marketplace, driving up value. And then one of the, one of the big things that comes out, I think of each of our conversation, our conversation today and my past conversations with you is things have to go proprietary. You have to create a proprietary process because we live in a, in an era, you know, if you think back, Josh, when you first got into this space, it was, you know, you're either a dabbler in the space or you're a specialist. And the differentiator was how long that list of services that you provided, right? So it's 338, 321, you know, fiduciary, you know, go, go down the list. And, and that was the differentiator because most advisors weren't focusing on that. But if today, when we talk to advisors that are, that are specializing in the marketplace, Andy, the issue that I keep running into is I go up and present well, when they bring in another specialist team from, you know, in, you know, here locally or someplace, you know, across the country, they're presenting the same things. Um, so, you know, they're going to benchmark, they're going to do all these critical things, uh, that we need to do for the plan. And, and how do we differentiate? How do we make this, you know, you and I were talking about some specific software, uh, you know, when they present, when you present the software solution that you're using, it's not your process. It's not your methodology. So you've got to get to proprietary um, and you've got to get specific around what it is that those ideal clients are, are wanting to solve for and then break it as quickly as possible, learning from that feedback that they give you um, so that you're the next prospect that you meet with the next, your next client meeting they're, if they're facing and that's on their radar, that that same thing that you just invented and tweaked and made better with your one prospect or your one client is probably going to add value and, and add more, you know, organizational intelligence and all that kind of stuff that you can, you know, continue to build out. So so break your own models intentionally saying, OK, this was iteration one or phase one. This this was good. But man, phase two, we've really got it better. And then what does phase three look like and what does phase four look like using the market uh, clients and prospects to, to drive your thinking and drive what your what the deliverables are or leave it alone, drop it. If it doesn't resonate, it doesn't, you know, d demonstrate value or do something of value to that prospect or client. Don't put any to your point earlier. Don't put any effort into it. Just just let it go. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting, like we, we, there's a behavioral, there's a concept of behavioral economics of like sunk costs. And a lot of times, like we get so married, like a sunk cost that we're unwilling to, you know, it's like when you see a, you know, a stock go down and it's like, I feel so invested in this that like, right. I can't be disciplined about like, Hey, like, yeah, it's gone down. And I used to hear this with rebalancing with clients, like, yeah, but if I sell it, like it doesn't have a chance to come back. And I'm like, you only have permanent capital loss if you sell something when it's down and you go to cash. Like if we sell something, we rebalance and we get right back invested in the market. Like you're still in, right. when, when, when the market comes back, like you're, you're gonna be okay. And so it's easy to get these kind of sunk costs. You know, I, I would say even now from a tech standpoint with Fiduciary Rx, um, you know, I, I, and I, I share this with advisors, like don't, a big mistake is, um, don't make the brand of the tools you use bigger than your own brand, mm. brand your process. And I was very much a proprietor. I wanted to, I wanted to check all the boxes when, when I first started and when I was, you know, I had a very differentiated story. I told it and, and not many people told the story I did early on. Over time though, 
you know, you go into any advisor, heck, you could license certain platforms and now you can check a box and say, hey, we do. Like you said, it got way hard. What I found was it got harder. Um, the It got harder to differentiate the story. What I found over time was the move towards specialization meant that there were fewer competitors who could sit in front of a plan sponsor and really show they were a specialist, but every specialist. So, so there was less competitors, but the competition was way more fierce because the people who could get to the next step in the conversation, everybody was good. Um, and so you have to figure out a way to check all the boxes of everybody else. But you have to be able to package it differently. Even with Fiduciary RX, like Fiduciary RX, I think is an incredibly, no, 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 no uh, shock here. Like I'm biased because I think it's, you know, it's a phenomenal tool for advisors to use, but don't elevate the brand of Fiduciary RX above your own brand. Fiduciary RX is simply, it's a tool that you use to implement and execute your process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's the big challenge in for plan sponsors is when they look at advisors and this is another thing don't don't sell around the services you offer in my opinion sell around the actions you take and the outcomes you achieve like that it's because it's really hard for a plan sponsor that looks at two advisors and they go to their websites and they say they do all the same things well then how do i differentiate between the two right. of that, it's, it's, it's kind of like getting married. Like you can date somebody, you can be engaged, but until you like live with somebody day to day and you sleep next to them every day and you know, you really find out whether or not you're compatible. And I, I've seen that with advisors, like a, a plan sponsor doesn't know if they have a really good advisor um, until they've actually lived with them for a little while. And you start to see like, Hey, this, you could have two advisors that say they do the same things. They could have all the same exact tools but the advisor that is more effective and capable at using those tools to drive outcomes and then to visualize that for client, that's the advisor who's yeah. gonna, you know, it's kind of a crapshoot for plan sponsors. They don't know until they get into it, whether they have a good advisor or not. And a lot of times they don't know until they have a better experience. You know, they go through, they're yeah. married. It's not a good marriage. They get divorced. They're a little like guarded. But then when they find like Mr. or Mrs. Wright, it's like, oh, I had no idea that this was so much, you know, um, so much better. C.S. Lewis is, is, um, you know, was a theologian and, um, you know, I, I, I've, I've read a lot of his stuff and he had a great analogy. He said that, um, and he was talking about matters of, you know, faith and stuff like that. But he said that what most people are like, they're like little kids playing in mud puddles, making mud pies, because they can't envision what a holiday at the beach actually would be like. And so I think as an advisor, and I'll wrap up this part here as I've rambled a little bit, but as an advisor, your job is to help your prospects and clients understand and experience a holiday at the beach, not play with in mud puddles, making mud pies. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's such a difference too, Josh, there's a lot to what, what you're saying there. Um, at point of sale, when you're, when you're meeting with a prospect there, they haven't experienced you, your, how you deliver, right? Your team, your method of communication, your follow-up, all those things. So, so many advisors we work with, they've got that right. It's a fantastic experience, but before that decision is made, when the, you know, when multiple advisors are lined up that perform the similar tasks, it's, it's how do we proprietize that process? So it looks, they look different and we give them a little bit of a taste of what it's going to be like after they get, you know, get the nod and they say, okay, we're, we're going to hire you. Let's move, let's move forward. So it's almost not, it, it almost seems unfair sometimes because it's like, we know that once they, once they say yes and give the nod, your, your team is going to do a fantastic job. Um, you know, but how do we, how do we create that before the, before you get the yes? How do we create, make it proprietary? How do we, you know, and I, and I love like, um, 
I think it's, it goes to impact, right? It, it's being able to have impact on the plan sponsor around the areas. So the other, so one of the things is pushing to proprietary, which I think, you know, is going to be that one of the things you hear from our conversation today, uh, you know, throughout, but pushing to proprietary, but then also double clicking on what's top of mind for that particular prospect or plan sponsor, because it's almost just like you go to the doctor. We've talked about this before, but you go to the doctor for knee pain. You don't really want to hear about why, you know, it's interesting, you know, maybe, maybe the doctor's interesting and you want to understand their background. How'd you get into medicine? You know, that might be interesting, but really the reason that you're there is because of the knee pain. It's not his philo- overall philosophy. You want to be, you want to be healed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I want to be able to run again next week, right. Or, or whatever it is. Um, and yes, you want to, you want to know that he, he understands all the other things that play into the knee. So that if you have an issue that comes up down the road, he can address that as well, which is, but, but you really need the double. So proprietary and then double clicking on figuring out what is it they're meeting with you for a reason. Right. Yeah. And I think the tendency is as an advisor, and we all do it in our own business is we built this, this, thorough process. We've learned we're students of the game. We understand, you know, more than the plan sponsor, what the moving parts are and what needs to change and all that kind of stuff. And we want to talk about all these good things, all these various topics that are the core disciplines, I'll call them to, to managing the plan. But there's one core discipline or one issue that's the reason that you're meeting with them. And so being able to demonstrate a proprietary process and also figure out in your process, flush out what's top of mind and get get to the knee pain, right? Talk about the knee pain, fix that and paint the picture that, hey, I have a proprietary process that, that will deal with your knee pain. But guess what? When you double in size two years from now, you're going to have, it's not going to be knee pain anymore. It's going to be something else. And our process has all the core disciplines built in. So we'll be able to, you know, we'll be able to, to add value today for the reason that we're meeting today and, you know, down the road. So proprietary, 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 and then get specific on what the pain point, why are they meeting with you now? And those, those two things really differentiate and set apart when we are in a, in a mature market, like we are where it's a a list of tasks and those types of things. Yeah. Um, When that's, you know, you you think about fiduciary RX and the concept that pioneers (laughs) this concept of fiduciary wellness and literally part of the tagline with fiduciary RX is to diagnose, prescribe, and improve fiduciary wellness. Um, you know, using a medical metaphor, the best doctors, look, when you have knee pain, you're probably not, the, you don't want to go see your general practitioner about knee pain. Right? They're a generalist. They're very good at what they do. But when you have an acute issue like knee pain, like you want to go see an orthopedic specialist, mm. right? Yep. Um, and and the best orthopedic specialists, you know, it's about where they went to school. But are they doing re- are they doing you know research? A lot of the most you know successful orthopedics have like created like because they've as they've operated like a lot of them. The ones that get really wealthy are the ones who've actually created like you know, a knee replacement methodology, or they create the hardware that goes in to kind of, that they built to kind of help them, goes back to right. the pride, like that they built to kind of help them get better outcomes. As a, as a doctor, as an orthopedic specialist, your job is to help your patients achieve a high quality of life. Right. And so it really comes down to what you're saying. So many advisors want to come in and they want to prescribe right off the bat but in order to prescribe effectively, you have to diagnose accurately. And so, you know, the, the other thing just to use that is the doctor's going to ask you, okay, well, how did this happen? What other symptoms are you dealing with? Like they want to know what has happened. I'm dealing with, actually, I, have a, I tore a ligament in my foot almost eight weeks ago playing basketball with one of my sons. And I'm going to a really good orthopedic. Yeah. And you know, I did my research, you know, he went to a really good school. He's part of a really good practice. You know, they work with, you know, the Baltimore Ravens and the Baltimore Orioles. Like he's one of the team doctors, like the guy checks all the boxes right. for like, but we spent a little bit of time, like five minutes. Okay. How did this happen? Well, I was playing basketball with my son and I stepped on his foot. Okay. Well, what did you, did you feel a pop? Did you feel, well, here's what happened. And this is what it felt like. He spent a couple of minutes asking me, well, how have you, how did it happen? 
Then he spent a decent amount of time diagnosing. He put me through a series of tests, did an x-ray, I did an MRI, I did a different type of x-ray. He used his hand to kind of manipulate my foot to see where my pain was presenting. And he's like, look, this is, I had this really bad, it's called a list Frank injury. A lot of NFL guys get it, like ends their careers, a very rare injury. But he was able to diagnose by manipulating my foot. And he said, look, he's like, I think it's partially torn. The MRI is a little inconclusive. The, the x-rays are a little inconclusive. But if this was a fully ruptured, this ligament, when I do this and he manipulated my foot, he's like, you would hit the roof. You're not hitting the roof right now, which leads me to believe that you have a partial, I can see on the MRI, it looks like there's a partial rupture. So here's a couple of, we could do surgery. You're looking at 12 months recovery. I'm not gonna operate on you because I don't think you need the surgery. I've been doing this, I've seen this a lot. What I think is this is gonna be the method, like let's put you in a boot, let's put you on weight bearing for four weeks come back and see me. I went back after four weeks. He looked, he said, Hey, you've made a lot of progress. We can always operate down the road. I don't think we're going to need to do that. Here's the next phase of the treatment. You're going to do this and then you're going to make an appointment. And the guy diagnosed me really, really accurately. And then he prescribed a series of approaches. He could have gone, Hey, we need to do surgery. But based on the fact that he was experienced, and this is an injury that gets misdiagnosed all the time and tends to have really bad outcomes. But the fact that he has it, he knows this injury, he knows what to look for. And so, like, I think as an advisor, like, that's a really, really good yeah. playbook. You need to diagnose accurately, find out what the issues, find out what the pain points are. But then you need to take a look and figure out, okay, well, where are they now? But then more importantly, like I didn't care after I talked to him for 10 minutes, I didn't care where he went to school. I didn't care of any of that. Could he heal me? And it was, he presented, he gave me, you know, I was like, I've been reading on the internet. He's like, stop doing that. Like, that's just not good. I'm like, it's a, it looks like a disaster. He's like, okay, Dr. Google. He's like, stay off that. He's like, this is all the reasons why all those people, like why they write what they do. It was probably misdiagnosed. He's like, there's different levels of injury with this. He's like, you're fortunate you're on a less severe, but he had all that experience that he brought. I could have gone to see another orthopedic that had never seen this type of injury before. And I guarantee you, I would not, have, it either would have been misdiagnosed or the treatment path that he recommended that, that like, you know, he or she would recommend wouldn't be the best treatment path. And so yeah. I think that's a really good model is diagnose effectively, prescribe accurately, and then present this better fiduciary future. He's very encouraging to me when I was like, I think my life, like I'm ever going to get back. And he's like, stop worrying about all of that next. Like, let's do this in three to four week intervals. And as right. you progress, we will see where we go from there. I think that's a really good model. Yeah. Great way, to, great way to think about it. And the, um, yeah. And, and, and once, once he's, once he's listened, one of the interesting things that came up in a conversation here in the, within the last couple of weeks with an advisor we work with was depending on the size plan, the amount of information with the larger plans where you've got a CFO involved and I'll bring this back to the doctor analogy, but, um, with the CFOs involved and trained HR professional and stuff like that, they, they are trained to bring in the kind of what the doctor did, gather the data, um, and, and then make sure that they understand the criteria and what, what the decision, the decision that's being made or should be made, what the outcome, what the prescription needs to be. And then you have smaller plans where you have a business owner or you have a practice manager or somebody like that that's not been trained in the 401k retirement plan space. And they don't necessarily want to gather all that information. They want to know that you can gather all the information and prescribe what it is. So you have different, that's another challenge that, that we have go, taking place in the marketplace. If you work with smaller plans under 10 million and you work with larger plans, you're going to prescribe, you know, that exact scenario that you prescribed about your foot, you're going to react differently and prescribe it differently based on where, what the plan size. So there, there's a, 
it's a it's a it's a great model, but you also have to adapt that model based on what is it that they're looking for. Do they want to gather data and make that you know make that decision internally and understand all the facts, or do they want to just be, hey, we've done this this information and and what came out of that conversation, Josh, was interesting because the the level of detail around the questions and you're you're saying you know you m- manipulated your foot a certain way and asked questions, does this hurt? What's the pain level here and the, those types of those very detailed questions that you ask the plan sponsor, where once they've told you what the, where the pain is, where you're really trying to understand, you're you're demonstrating expertise by the questions that you ask, and everybody else is staying at a ten thousand foot level. Well, you know, oh, you have fiduciary concerns. Okay, tell us a little bit about that. And, you know, there's a two sentence dialogue, and then they're on to the next topic. It, there, there's no really in depth you know, examination of understanding and, and through that process with the plan sponsor, just as the doctor did with you, you have the ability of asking questions, really getting clarity on what's going on with that plan. And through that experience, that experience is very different than somebody else that goes through and just shows a laundry list of, yeah, we, we address the fiduciary concerns or we benchmark your plan or whatever that is, that experience on paper, they're identical. The experience side of things is totally different, which I think is is the impact pre engagement, uh, which is so you know so critical as so a proprietary, and then just understanding. Okay, I need to ad- adapt my approach based on what they're looking for. Um, are they gathering the data, or are they you know just wanting gui- general guidance? I don't want to deal with this. Um, you know, P and C and some of those types of things. You just want to describe what's going on and have them prescribe what you need to cover it and then move on to the next thing. Um, you know, where other things you kind of want to understand a little bit more detail and want to be able to make the, make the decision, you know, confirm the decision yourself. Um, but I love that about, I love that about where our paths crossed, you know, I saw what you, what you put out with fiduciary RX and it, it complemented the work with a number of our advisors that we were working on because it pushed to proprietary. And after you push to proprietary, you need to be able to deliver and demonstrate that the process works. And, you know, we've talked about gamification. We've talked about, you know, just if you're on a, on a weight loss, you know, somebody will tell you something as simple as get a scale because you need to be able to track the numbers and see which direction you're moving on the scale. And so it, it applies in all facets, but it's pushed to proprietary. And then you have to be able to demonstrate that there's improvement, that they can track it through their own lens. Not what I'm just telling them that, Hey, your plan is much better now than, you know, a nebulous comment, like your plan is so much better now after you've hired us than it was before. And they're kind of scratching their head. We like you. We like what you've done, but you know, how are you quantifying? How are you, you know, how would you validate that? Um, so I was excited to see fiduciary RX and kind of, it'll be interesting to see how you evolve listening to what the, what the advisors and what the plan sponsors need, you know, and this, this first iteration and how you can, how you can help meet the, you know, next iteration of value. Um, yeah. And that's, I mean, I've rolled out some really cool fee visualization and optimization capabilities, which went back to my old process of continuing to kind of build out the platform. And it, you know, and part of that's listening to advisors. Part of it, my secret sauce was I was an advisor. So it's not like I'm a, technology person that's kind of never sat in the yeah. seat. Like I always built things to solve problems that I had where I couldn't find, like my philosophy was if I can find a, a tool to do what I want that fits into my process, then I'll, that's the path of least resistance. But when I would run into issues to, and problems that there was no current solution, right. I would build it. Um, you know, I would, I would build that myself. And that's, that kind of goes back to the kind of the break and the rebuild and the, you know, constantly trying to, um, you know, I think constantly trying to iterate from that perspective, but yeah, that, that gamification piece of being able to, you know, here's a, here's a, here's a, uh, um, I'll give you just a little advisors listening to this. Like, here's a little, uh, here's a little tidbit. So, Case studies, in my opinion, are one of the most effective ways you can demonstrate your value. I've talked about it on the podcast. Um, I've, talk, I've talked about it on the podcast before. Um, but for your clients, a lot of times you have to draw the, you, you have to like paint the picture for them. And the way you can do that is with, um, I think with case studies and, and technology, Fiduciary RX allows you to do this really quickly as you can show people, here's where you were, here's where we come from. So 
um, you know, I'm actually, uh, every now and then something comes across, you know, my plate, I get kind of a, you know, uh, uh, um, I do a little bit of consulting here and there. Sure. And I got introduced to, um, you know, uh, a, a uh, like a $300 million plan and they're looking, they were looking for a new advisor and, um, you know, I asked me if I could kind of run that process for them. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I want to make sure, you know, and they have, a, have a very good advisor currently, um, but they needed to go through an RFP process. And so I put together an RFP, but in the RFP, um, and I, you know, I broke it down because my model is fiduciary access, fiduciary governance, plan design, fee structure, investment process, participant support and provider management. So that was like the, the, the six components of the, um, of the RFP. And I actually surveyed the committee members each individually on which of like to, to stack rank those six sure. areas in order of individual priority. And then I came up with a score for the committee on what their, their, what those six, how they were stack ranked. And I went back to advisors, part of the RFP. I'm like, look, these are the six priorities. Here's the one that's the highest. Here's the one that's the lowest. And in the RFP, I had, I said, look, in each one of these areas, I want you, I'm going to give you the roadmap on like, don't talk about number six that much because number one is the highest priority. Right. But I said in the RFP was list one to two case studies, how you've helped your clients achieve outcomes in these areas. And I told each advisor, Hey, this is your chance to really demonstrate like how you've gotten outcomes. So focus on these case studies. These are probably the, all the other questions are check the box, but this is a way where you can really position yeah. what you do, what you believe, how you do it um, for the incumbent. And I, I prepped with each advisory firm, you know, to give them insight. But one of the things I said with case studies to them is if it was me, I would, um, you're fighting from a position of strength. For those case studies, I wouldn't talk about like other clients. I'd talk about exactly what you've done for them over the course of the history, because you're in a position where everybody else is hypothetical. They've lived, they've lived with you. And it was just a really fascinating, like if you get RFP'd for an existing client, put in case studies with the specific metrics and things you've achieved for your clients. For that particular and, and when you present to them, be like, look, you're going to talk to other firms. They're going to talk to you about what they hypothetically could do mm -hmm. for you. Here's what we've actually done. Done for you. Um, and that may win the deal for you. It may not, but you're going to be in a better position if you can kind of draw those conclusions and yeah. those outcomes. It's really, really important for prospects. You need to cast vision. It's not about where they've come from. Help them understand where they are, but more importantly, help them understand where you're going to take them together over time right. for your clients. It's really important for you to visualize. Yeah. Here's where we've come over time. Here are all the things that we've done. Here's what we've accomplished. Clients are not going to remember all that stuff on their own. You have to paint that picture yeah. for them. Yep. Yeah. I love that. Um, and, um, one of the things, you know, taking, taking that case study, uh, one of the things we, we do a lot of, it's called advisor IP and, and Josh, we, um, basically we've, we've gone through and work with advisors with all the major BDs and independents and whatever, and, and pitch book is their 401k pitch book. How do you present your services at point of sale? And one of the things that's always included in there is a, is usually included as a, a grouping of, of logos for the clients they currently work with. And so one of the, one of the kind of Matt, everything, it's kind of a one, two, three punch type thing, but it's, it's, you know, what's your proprietary process? Who are you running it for from a logo standpoint? And then what, to your point, what's ranked number one, there's a whole complexity level with a committee because it's not just one person that's driving it. Sometimes it is one person that's domineering over everybody else, but you're dealing with the committee decision. What, what's that particular issue? And then using a case study for deliverability. So you've, you've taken what in generality is, is left and we're always looking at, okay, what is everybody else saying? And that first, it's almost like a lemonade stand. It's that simple. If I'm lined up next to 10 other lemonade stands and I'm yell lemonade and everybody else is saying lemonade, it doesn't matter how great my lemonade is. It, nobody's going to hear us because they're tuning everybody out that's saying the same thing. So the first thing you have to realize is what is everybody else saying? Well, everybody else is saying, here are all the logos. 
of the clients we work with, which is a great statement. We're all for that, but everybody else is saying that. So it's almost like that lemonade analogy that they aren't hearing it. So how do you bring that, those logos to life around the specific area that they just told you is the, the area of concern for them and case studies and demonstration of proprietary processes is, is one of the most powerful combinations that they can do. In my opinion, opinion, fiduciary RX, you've just, you know, plug and put a plug and play solution where you don't have to do backflips to collect data and track these things, both for case study and for actual client, you know, track record of what you've done, value you've added and those types of things. And Josh, your point about how quickly we forget, how quickly we forget, right? Um, there's so many things going on in our lives. There's so many things going on in our plan sponsor committee members' lives. They don't remember. They have to go back and say, okay, here, when you came in, I think a number you threw out was that most, most plans score around a 35 when they, you know, when they come in and initially take the analysis. And then as you move them through the process and show them, you, you've demonstrated that exact, you know, the value, the impact that you've had to that plan. And beyond like our conversation today has been focused on, on growth of revenue, winning new business. And, and we're, we all love that. Right. But beyond that, I think there's, there's another value that we see in our businesses working with, working with advisors that are, that are just great to work, that are great to work with. You know, you, you mentioned, you know, in interviewing uh, prospects and not just being interviewed. Um, but when you find that fit, it's it, it's not just executing tasks and responsibilities you need to do for that plan. It's not just consulting with a particular advisor on how to get their business to the next level, but there's, there's a friendship formed and there's, there's, you know, celebration of wins and it, it, it's a joy to work with when those things are applied. Um, you know, reputation expanded, referrals are made, all those types of things. So it's really, if you contrast that versus just like every, every prospect is just a, you know, a sword fight trying to win, you know, win that plan. And then, cause there's no processes and there's nothing proprietary. And the next one is, and nobody's really helping you because you haven't made yourself referable by getting your value prop where it needs to be and getting that proprietary process. You're in that, you're keeping yourself in that early stage of business. And every win is just like, you know, picking up a boulder and trying to carry the thing rather than creating that flywheel concept that you and I have talked about. Um, where it's like, once I start to get momentum, apply process, get validation, continue to drive more value, the thing starts to spin itself. And now, now I'm in, in, you know, in a cadence that is enjoyable, that I can train my team around, that I can hand off and do some of those things. So a lot of advisors, because they're not going through it, hopefully this is making sense because they're not going through that process of pri proprietary, um, getting specific demonstrating logos a little bit differently they're they're making themselves work harder to get the wins um and they're having you know fee compression and all those things are entering in where you make a couple slight adjustments and and you know you no longer have to carry a boulder you're carrying you know a pebble um you're still doing the work but it's so much more enjoyable and things like that so so yes revenue yes growth yes getting to the next level of your business but also enjoying working with those clients and, and driving success for them is such a, you know, such a, a huge thing, I think for, you know, for my business and, uh, you know, I've heard it and the things you've said, and I think also for the advisors that are listening, um, you know, listening to the podcast is, you know, that's the, that's one of the major wins that I think can be unlocked by using a fiduciary RX and putting some proprietary processes in place um, in their business. Um, you know, I also think too, and this goes back to right working on the business and really understanding the analytics of your practice. Mm. You know, one of my philosophies is that there's there's riches in niches, um, and so part of this is like understanding, and and this will seem a little out there, but I think it's worth the time and effort is finding common threads within your current practice. How many engineering firms do you have? How many medical practices? How many construction companies do you have? Every advisor probably has, you know, a handful of, you know, of, of uh, different like industry niches. Well, then start to think about like, what are the size of those plans on average? What are the, um, what are some, some of the common issues that they run into? 
what are some of the experiences, those case studies? Like, what have you been, what have you done? So like the logo piece, instead of just flashing a bunch of logos, do you think it would be more powerful if it was an engineering firm and you went in and you were like, Hey, these are the six other engineering firms that we work with. Yeah. Um, here were some of the issues that we've seen. This is how, you know, um, that they've run into. Here's some of the outcomes that we've gotten for them. We understand your business because it's a niche we focus on. We understand your demographic, what your people challenges are or opportunities. Um, we understand your human capital needs. Um, you know, even starting to then put your pitch. So come up with your pitch, but then come up with industry narratives, like an example. With an engineer, I had in, I had a num I had a, a a good number of engineering clients. I did everything like there was something called the ENR, like the engineering news record. That was like the, the 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 trade publication. Like I subscribed to it. I read all the articles every month in the ENR magazine because I wanted to understand what was going on with engineering right. firms. And so I would like send articles to like clients at times. Hey, I read about this. I thought about you. Or I'd be sitting in the committee meeting. I was like, I just read this in ENR, like, is this an issue that like your deal? And it was funny, like there was no doubt that, that very few advisors that I would compete with understood engineering firms the way that I did. And I even would talk about, look, you engineer a plan for success or failure. Our job is really to be like the general contractor, right? We're yeah. going to come up with the, and, and the architect, we're going to come up with kind of the blueprint, the strategy. Some we have internal where we'll be the subcontractors and we'll do the work directly. We're going to go out and hire subs in other different areas where we don't have the in-house expertise, but where you need it. And we're going to make sure that we oversee those subs and that they're doing their job. And ultimately, you know, our goal is to deliver the project, you know, right. uh, uh, you know, at a high level on time and at or under budget. Like I would put it in, like that was my narrative. You could do it with a medical, like a doctor, if you have a lot of doctor's right. practices. Hey, you know, our job is really to be like the general practitioner. We're gonna come in, we're gonna diagnose, prescribe. If we need to like refer you to like a specialist for something that you're really dealing with, we're gonna provide that referral. We're gonna bring them in. We're gonna continue to make sure that they're delivering the yep. standard of care. So I actually think that's like a next level direction that you could go instead of just, Hey, here are the companies we work with. People want to know that that you work with people like them. And if you can speak right. their language, if you can create a whole narrative for them that describes your proprietary process and the work that you do, in my opinion, that's the way you start to really great, stand it, apart. It's a great way. You put the boulder down when you've done that and you've picked up the pebble. It, it, it's now enjoyable. You're now refer much more referable because one of the things that we keep seeing with advisors on the value prop, when you talk in generalities, you're, you're really not referable. How do you, ref when somebody says, Hey, they do, they manage our plan for us and they do a great job or you, I really trust them or I, whatever, those are compliments, but it's not referable. And to your point, Josh, if you did double down on an engineering firm and you, you, you specified, we work with engineering firms in this space and we use our proprietary process, you know, to drive these outcomes that, you know, engineering firms are hyper focused on. Yep. Now that engineering firm, you've talked around that they now have a value prop. They can speak to their other engineer. Well, you know, Josh, Josh is a fantastic Absolutely. advisor. He's got this process that he's focused in on engineering firms. You've got to talk to him. Well, I just turned a compliment into a referral. So getting to that sweet spot for an, in an advisor's business, it, it doesn't have to be a lot of times. And that's the fun part of what we do. It doesn't have to be as difficult and hard a path to get to the next level as you, as we sometimes think in our own heads. It's a couple critical changes around the proprietary, around documenting, around gamifying and showing results and those types of things. And then that creates just this, you know, it just a completely different experience from a, you know, I mentioned the three pillars, lead gen, uh, service model and growth map. All three pillars are affected when you, when you start to do some of those things, depending on where you are from a revenue standpoint. Um, and so you I need to change that conversation, like change that the way that you, you know, um, your lemonade stand, right. Instead of, Hey, yeah. you know, we, uh, we, we sell lemonade to more of like, we sell pink lemonade infused with 
antioxidants. Like that's how you stand apart. Glute, it's not like we just give you a limit aid. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know? it, um, it, so exactly. What, what, um, you know, as we kind of wrap up here, um, just kind of share a little bit. I mean, you've, you've mentioned a number of these things, the pillars. I know you have a number of different programs that you offer, you know, uh, as well. Like, what are you looking And this, this, we, we don't have time to unpack it, but you kind of alluded to it is, you know, the goal of business isn't to work with everybody. It's to find that kind of your tribe where you can build these kind of raving fans and you can build like the goal is to work with people that align with your vision and your value and your capabilities. Um, they make much better clients instead of the ones that are misaligned. Right. Um, what are you looking for uh, in terms of like advisors that may be listening that are saying, Hey, you know, I want to take this thing to the next level. Like what does the ideal advisor client look like for you? That's a great question. So just like you, uh, you probably advisors qualify their plans based on assets and things like that. We, we usually look at production and it's usually a million and up in production, uh, where we engage with that advisor in what we call the 401k advisor playbook. And it's, it's, it's identifying which pillar is holding the business back and then helping them, uh, walk through and address some of the issues that we've, we've helped other advisors address that are in a similar position to you and help you move through that quickly to, to pull those levers and get to that next level. Uh, so a lot of it is around tactics is around, and, and a lot of the advisors just that we work with, they're, they're, there's not a deficiency. They're fantastic salespeople. They've, they've built a very successful practice. They don't need to work with us to make it, you know, make an extra dollar or two. Um, but they, but they still have the motivation to try to, how do I get to the next level? I know I need to do things differently. I know I need somebody that's used to looking at an advisor's practice. doesn't matter how you're registered. Um, and I want them, I want to pull this apart, figure out where the gaps are, where we can put some things in place. Uh, where is it breaking down? Like we talked about in our process. And then how do we, how do we double down and add value for those right types of plans so that we can win more of those? Stay away from the plans that are not a fit for us that we will never, you know, serve well or where they'll appreciate the value that we're driving for them. So it's called the, the, uh, 401k advisor playbook. And it's just our met one to one, you know, methodology of coaching advisors that are, you know, a million or, or above. Um, under that, if they're under that production number, those tactics uh, still work for them um, on their lead gen service model and growth map. Uh, it's just we, we deliver them through webinars, through uh, video training and those types of things where it's not a one on one, uh, you know, uh, nature as, as far as that goes. There's also um, the 401k uh, sales call, which we have every two weeks, which is a free um free way to hear sales ideas um, and uh, just join us. We'll talk about, you know, last, last week you talked about a study that came out and took a little bit different, um, you know, took a little bit different take on what I'm seeing from LinkedIn and how to apply that study and how to use it. And some of the conversations around, you know, lead gen and, and um, trying to, you know, trying to work your prospect list and different things like that. So there's a number of ways to get involved, but we'd love to, you know, reach out to me on uh, LinkedIn, uh, Andy Hudson, and love to find out what you're doing in your business and what you're trying to solve for. And um, if we can help you, we'd love to. So that's great. And and I'll make sure in the show notes, but, but you know, I'll, I'll throw up, LinkedIn there. What, how, how else can people, where can they go? Where can they engage with you? How can they stay connected to you? Yeah, just um, the 401k sales call is a great one. Uh, 401k uh, champions.com is the, is the website. Um, and there's a lot of information on there. Um, the, um, you know, feel free to email me at Andy at 401k champions.com. The biggest thing is we love the, you know, love to learn about, about an advisor's practice and what's going on. Um, students of the game like to listen to what you know we, we look for repetition in issues and what they're, what you're trying to solve for mm. um and if we can offer something in-house to help you with that or if we can refer you to you know josh you and i you know we've worked with some some mutual clients because your ability of fiduciary rx to uh gamify and give a process to being able to show the the value that's driven through that proprietary process, I think is so critical. So um, if, if there's a, a resource out there like yours, um, it would point you in that direction, kind of help you connect the dots on that. But um, 
Awesome. Yeah. Well, this yeah, has yeah. been a really fun conversation, yeah. Andy, and uh, love what you're doing. I mean, I think, you know, uh, if you look at just, just look at all of the, you know, um, most elite athletes that are out there, they all have coach. They, they have coaches. Even yeah. Tiger Woods has, a, you know, had a swing coach, you know, best player mm-hmm. in the world for a really long time. Like, um, in, in everybody needs, I think, uh, a coach and appreciate what you're doing for the industry, the way that you're helping advisors. And, um, thanks for being a guest on the show. And, uh, I, I hope and am confident that advisors, uh, uh, have gotten a lot of value out yeah. of, um, kind of the, the, I think the systematic way that, that, uh, that you, you think about things and that the structure, um, that you bring. So thank you so yeah, much. Been a great that. conversation. Yeah, Josh, thanks for, um, thanks for having us, having me on and, and, uh, continued success with fiduciary X. I know I'm excited to see, um, you know, as you start to go to the enterprise and, and help individual advisors with that solution, excited to see what, uh, what you're building and continue to build that out. So. Thanks. Enjoyed the conversation. Likewise. Thanks for listening to today's episode with Andy Hudson from 401k Champions. If you're a retirement plan advisor that wants to visualize and gamify your retirement plan consulting process for your prospects and clients, and you haven't checked out Fiduciary Rx yet, head over to www.fiduciaryworks.com and book a demo. I'd love to show it to you, and I'm pretty confident you'll be glad you did. Also, if you've got questions you'd like me to answer, topics you'd like me to discuss, guests you think would be a good fit for the show, or any other feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Also, head over to Amazon and check out my two books, The Fiduciary Formula and Fixing the 401k. And finally, if you want an easy way to support the show, I'd really appreciate you leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to help other people find the show, and I read each one. Until next time, thanks again for listening to The Fiduciary You Podcast.